Welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael, featuring your host, Michael Lieben. Our program is designed to empower the bereaved community with information and stories from those who have suffered the most terrible loss. Michael himself, a bereaved father, will be meeting with people from around the world to share and to draw hope from their experiences. And now, here is Michael Lieben. Welcome to the 11th episode of the first season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's show is thankful for being alive with chronic illness. Here with us today to discuss this topic is our guest, Mia Moreno. Mia was born with pulmonary atresia. She had the Fontan procedure, was on ECMO, suffered kidney failure, and received her first pacemaker at 15 years old. Mia is currently in congestive heart failure. Living with chronic illness, Mia has been forced to face questions about her own end of life. What costs would she incur with ailing health or what are her wishes for her final services? However, she believes life is to be celebrated for the joys and not mourned for the struggles. Mia finds purpose in helping to educate others about CHD. While her family marvels at how she handles the obstacles that have come her way, Mia is glad to be able to stay strong for them and to participate in her own care. She hopes she can help the CHD community with her story and inspire others with her positive attitude. Mia, welcome to the program. Hi, Michael. Mia, please tell us about your condition and what it's been like growing up with a chronic illness. So I have pulmonary atresia. Um, My first surgery was three days old. Um, It's been a little rough because the first time I remember dealing with it by myself was at 15 because I don't remember anything before that. Thank God. <laughs> um, it's been a little rough. <laughs> why do you, why do you think you don't remember anything before fifteen? Just because of the trauma, or yeah? Are there other people in your family who are dealing with chronic illness? Uh, uh, who's been your guide, and, and how do you develop the, your philosophy of life? In my family, like it's just been me. <laughs> I mean, everybody's had their struggles, like diabetes and stuff mm-hmm. that they've had to maintain, but nothing. Let me ask you differently. Uh, when my daughter was born, she was the the third child, and so we had other children running around the house who were fine. Growing up ill, growing up with a chronic illness, has that affected the rest of your family while you were growing up? Well, it's just me and my sister. She's mm-hmm. older, so um, mm-hmm. to me, she got the short end of the stick when it came to attention. Really? <laughs> yeah, I feel that way. Because there was a lot of times where, you know, she had things going on. And, you know, my family was a big help in taking care of us. Because I have 10 aunts and uncles. So we would go, you know, stay with them or visit with them. Well, (laughs) I went to the doctor. My parents went with me. Mm -hmm. So she had a lot of time with our cousins (laughs) when she Mm -hmm. was younger. Do you feel that she ever resented that? Mm Hmm. When I was younger, yeah. Now it's more like, hey, we got to take care of this. We got to stick together because it's just me and you. <laughs> well, that's very interesting because I find that my children now are, as adults, having mm-hmm. been through those years of taking care of the youngest, um, as adults, they're, first of all, they're very, very close friends. And secondly, there are some of those marvelous adults I've ever seen. Do you, do you feel that your sister is a, is, is a better person in some sense for having grown up with you? Yes, she is. She, you know, she'd come 
out of her way for me. She would do anything for me. She'd go to bat for me. She she would do whatever she had to. <laughs> you know, just like I'm one of her kids, she would she would help and take care of me. <laughs> I find that happens often when we were taking care of our youngest, our older children, which were only, you know, a, a year and a half and three years older than her. We had to grow them up faster and they had to be bigger sooner in order to help take care of a girl who was developing and growing and then things that I could no longer take care of, my daughter had to do for her. And uh, I think the result of that is that today as young adults, they're some of the most marvelous adults I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think also, I think it's true also that the family is um, somehow strengthened by this sort of adversity. Would that be your experience? Yes, very much so. Can you give me an example, something that maybe your sister did to you? <laughs> uh, well, my vein popped while I was at home and I was by myself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and because I'm on blood thinners and, mm. you know, different meds, my I was bleeding really badly. And she <laughs> literally lives down the road. And I called her, hey, where are you? I'm at home. You need to get here. And she was there 10 minutes flat. And she's like, okay, wait, let's wrap it. Let's go. We're on our way. <laughs> well, when was this? This is obviously what you were in children. When was this? Um, it was probably the first time I moved out of my parents' house. <laughs> wow. So you stayed close, but you were out. I get that. Yeah. What was it like, uh, you know, a typical day? You know, you're, you're a young teenager. You're living at home. Uh, you have your issues. Your sister wants to get on with her life, I would assume. And yet she's somehow helping you. Your parents, I would imagine, are all around you. What's a day yeah. like there? Keeping up with doctor appointments, <laughs> trying to keep up with my sister, you know, because by this time she had her kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going to see them do extracurricular activities like softball and jujitsu and, you know, spending time with them, going back to my family's house. Were you allowed to do extracurricular activities, that sort of sports and things? No. I was <laughs> never allowed to do any of that. So when we were younger, we had a dance flicorico group. Mm-hmm. All of my cousins, my aunts were in charge of it. Um, I was a part of that, but I would only get to do like one or two songs. And then the rest of the, the day, you know, I can't do the rest of it. It's too much. Yeah. Did you feel, though, that there was a, a, an attempt on the part of the family to include you whenever they could? Most definitely. Oh, yeah. Because we would, we would spend summer, all summer together, you know, at my aunt's house. We'd go to her pool. We'd go bowling. And she'd come out of her way, you know, to come to the others, to come pick us up, to pick up everybody of our, our, our family. And we'd all go. <laughs> and we'd spend countless days during the summer at her home. And it was, it was fun. Let me me ask you something. Between all of your family, your older sister, your parents, your aunt, your cousins, obviously a lot of people around you all the time. Is there someone you can point to and say, why, this is is my role model. This is the person that really stuck with me. This is the person I really wanted to be with. See, and when I was growing up, I had my, my, I call her Tia Chita, but her name was Teresa. Um, And she never had any kids of her own. You know, she she was the one who always 
took care of us, all of our our needs, our wants. You know, she'd try and help us, take some of us to school, you know, run us around. So when I was with her, we would go to teach. I would help her teach catechism on Saturdays. And then I would stay with her Saturday night so I could go to church Sunday morning and then come home Sunday. So she was she was the one really guiding and she was the one who was really sort of out there for you. Okay, we're going to have to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be talking with Mia about how to get prepared and what's more important about end-of-life issues. Hi, I'm John Montez of NBC's hit acapella show, The Sing-Off. In acapella music, it takes a team to create a sound that many will enjoy, just like it'll take a team to help my good friend Miles Schweitzer, an HLHS survivor. Let's help Miles fulfill his dream and make a big enough sound to bring awareness to congenital heart disease. Please visit him at GoFundMe.com backwards slash The Miles Project. Miles with the Y. Again, that's GoFundMe.com The Miles Project. This is for Miles. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at Michael at HeartToHeartWithMichael.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Today we're talking with Mia Morena about preparing for end of life. Mia, before the break, we were talking about your aunt and how she was important in your life and that, among other things, she would take you to church. How has being Catholic affected your decision-making when preparing for your end-of-life issues? <laughs> um, end-of-life issues, it's affected it greatly, you know, as far as end-of-life um, things that have to be done, like last rites and garments and colors and, you know, certain things because I'm not married or I'm single or don't have kids. So uh, things things in that sense get to change when in the life comes because usually it's black, but because I'm not married, I get to choose colors. I get to wear white. <laughs> mm. So it has been, you know, a lot of changes because I thought, oh, well, it's just going to be gloomy it's just going to be black you know they're going to cry no well now that I get to change everything about it (laughs) like colors and and you know if I want to be cremated or buried or certain music um it changes everything (laughs) do you find do you find that there's a certain feeling of empowerment when suddenly you have control over that sort of issue Yeah, it definitely is empowering because, I mean, when I was 15 and I had to deal with it myself, I became very selfish Mm -hmm. in the sense that I became severely depressed. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. Is that when you first figured out really that, you know, this is a limited term? I was at the point where I was ready to quit. Mm. And because of my faith, I'm not allowed to do that. So that was, 
affected me. Why do you think it's important to be prepared? And, and are you in some way thankful that your illness has given you the opportunity to be prepared? I am, I am grateful for my illness because I get to prepare. You know, mm-hmm. I get to prepare myself. I get to prepare my family and say, hey, you know, I know it's a sore subject and you really don't want to talk about it, but we got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And have they well, become more open to talking about it? At first, it was like, no, let's not talk about it. It's not going to happen. You're not, you know, my dad always tells me, you know, a father is not supposed to bury their child. I'm supposed to be buried first. And he always tells me that. So at first, he was like, no, that's never never going to happen. I'm going first. Um, so it's to prepare them at first, it was like, no, we're not talking about it. And now that we're, you know, seeing, hey, you know, I'm in heart failure. Things have to change. You know, um, we were talking about transplant, mm-hmm. but we're not currently anymore. Um, Why is that? Are you off the list or were you never not on the list? What's I was never on the list to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got explained to me, you know, there's only a certain amount of transplants they do. And there's a certain amount of people that mm-hmm. need it. And it doesn't really balance out. <laughs> that so, is that is an, an, an unfair truth, I think. Yeah. Um, we were in some sense lucky because we were on the other side of that equation. Uh, when my daughter died, we were able to um, donate, of course, not the heart, but we were able to donate a good deal of organs, and we saved maybe four lives that night. So uh, one of the things that um, that I still think about is the night that we were crying, four families were celebrating. Yeah. And over the same, or more or less over the same thing. Uh and that was a difficult moment for us, but we felt that we were able to turn death into an opportunity for life, and we thought that was really important. So I understand that your parents don't want to talk about it, but I think at some point um, reality is that reality is, and these are really difficult issues. So how did you get them to eventually come around and discuss it? I got to the point where I was like, you know, at 18, I was ready to go to the doctor by myself. So when the, all this started happening, I was going to the doctor by myself. And they were like, no, you know, let's go to the doctor with you. So I was like, okay, you could come to the doctor with me so you can hear it. Because you're not going to listen. You're not going to take my word for it. Right, right. Um, so we all went to the doctor and we had this conversation of, you know, I'm in heart failure. I may need a transplant. That may not happen. Mm. Um, and after that, it was more of their eyes were opening to the fact that this could happen. It's mm. a possibility. And I mean, at first, you know, like any parent, they'd be like, They'd be sad, but... I, I could imagine that they would be, yes. 
but they're still, you know, egging me on not to give up either. <laughs> well, that's good, and that's that's what they're supposed to do. But I, it seems to me that somewhere along the line, something and that you're the one who's who's egging them on. You're the one who's giving them strength, and I really appreciate that because I think what you've done here is you've taken your own situation and you've you've changed it in a way that you are somehow empowered by what you have and know that you have to do what you have to do. And that's not usually the way you see it. I think your father is the, your father sees things the way most people do with, you know, it's what, it's not right to lose a child. Well, you know what? It's not really, it's not an issue of right or wrong. Up until, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, up until better medications, yeah. People even in even in countries as forward as the United States were having nine, ten children, so that a few of them would survive into adulthood. I mean, <laughs> we've 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 artificially reduced infant mortality, and we've made people live longer when we can, and so we've gotten used to this idea that it's not right. But it it is the way things happen. I think. I think what you've done is you've um, you've turned the tables a little bit, and instead of your parents being the ones to sort of pull you over the line and, and encourage you, I, I think you're the one who's become strong for them, and I think you've encouraged your parents, and I think that's a tremendous thing for you to do because it really gives you that kind of strength and power to to continue and to think about your future as it is and to do what you believe needs to be done. It's the kind of thing that uh, a lot of people are, are, they don't really know they can do until they're faced with it. Yeah. But we're going to have to take a hard break. And when we get back, we'll be talking with Mia about how she copes with her chronic illness with such a positive attitude and what advice she may have for others. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. Heart to Heart with Michael is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Did you know that most men suffer from beard itch, ingrown hairs, and a dry face, all because they're not using the right shaving tools? At woodraiser.com, we sell handmade heirloom-quality badger hairbrushes that exfoliate the skin, open the pores, and stimulate hair follicles, which gives a gentleman a closer, more comfortable shave and a clean face. Visit our website, woodraiser.com, where you can learn more about men's skin care and check out our professional shaving tools. A perfect gift for your man, built to last for generations. That's W-O-O-D-R-A-Z-O-R dot com. 
You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at michael at hearttoheartwithmichael.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved. We're here with Mia Moreno, who is sharing her thoughts on being thankful for being alive with chronic illness. In this segment, Mia will share with us how the laughter in her life has helped her cope with the daily struggle of her survival. Mia, what's the best tool in your arsenal to help you cope with having chronic illness? Definitely laughter. (laughs) Tell me about that because we love to hear about that here. Um, like my sister, my sister and her kids, you know, they entertain me. They do funny things. They make jokes. It's, you know, they, they they keep me going. Definitely. Do you ever do you ever drift off into the dark humor of, of places where other people would think they don't want you to go? Would you make jokes about that? Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to open up and tell us something that 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 other people might have thought was inappropriate, but that had you stitches. I mean, okay, so on Facebook memes, right, go around. So there's a meme that's you know as a police officer. And he's arresting a heart. And he's like, oh, it's because you are having cardiac arrest. And I'm like, that's funny. (laughs) And no one gets it. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to make jokes about heart patients in your house. I I like that. Yeah. My mom's like, that's not funny. I'm like, yes, it is. Do you find freedom in that kind of humor? Do you think it just like opens up? If you've been holding back about something else, does does a good joke like that just sort of let everything open up? Yeah, it definitely does. It's just one of those things that you know some people think it's it's bad, but I'm like, you know, it's if it makes you laugh, take it and run with it because laughter at the end of the day is what's making you happy. And just just go with it. You can't, you know, just like life, roll with it. Just go. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I have been known to say some of the worst things in the absolute most inopportune moments. I think anybody who works on this program also knows that. Um, <laughs> but I, it's one of the, it, I find it for me, it's a self-defense mechanism. I hide behind humor when I'm really nervous about something. But I also find that it opens up uh, not only myself but the people around me. If people are, are being ginger and walking carefully around me so as not to say something that might upset me or maybe say some, not say something that would upset me about my daughter, um, I just go right to it. And once they get there and relax, they can be themselves. Do you find that happens to you a lot? With strangers, I, I find that they're more conscious of what they say. Mm-hmm. And how it's said. My family, we just get to the point. We're, you know, we're 29 years into this, going on 30. They're like, no, we're not, we're not going to sugarcoat it. It's fine. Let's just. Well, you'd expect that. <laughs> no, you'd expect that from people who are inside. They sort of get rough around the edges and they're fine with that. But it's always interesting to watch new people walk into the situation. Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you something. Uh, the United States now, we're in the holiday season, or at the beginning of the holiday season, and America ushers in the holidays with Thanksgiving. 
So what's your advice to others to feel a sense of thankfulness or even gratitude, dare I say, no matter what they're facing right now in their lives? What would you tell people? Right now, going into Thanksgiving season, just be happy with what you have. I mean, yeah, it gets tough. You know, most of us with chronic illness, you know, got medical bills and we're struggling. And it's a lot to deal with at times. It's it's even for our families, if we're, you know, even us as patients, yes, it's a lot. But we forget the people around us, you know, that are looking inward, that are seeing, you know, what we're going through. If, you know, they're seeing that we can do it and we're striving. Do people really have an idea, though, what, what you're going through? Do they really understand it, do you think? My my family, I, I try to be as open as I can with them. I Every time there's a doctor appointment or something happen or I end up in the hospital, I definitely message them mm-hmm. and keep them informed. Um, I try keeping them everybody up to date. <laughs> well, yeah, but I guess I'm, I'm talking about there's two levels up from that. There's your family and then there's friends and people close to you who know you, who know what you're going through. They know your situation. Do you think they really understand that? And before you tell me about them, when you meet somebody new, how does it come into the conversation? Hi, my name is Mia. I have a heart disease or just it slowly works in. Sometimes it even doesn't come up. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like I have the scars, but no one actually goes around and says, hey, you know, mm-hmm. what's that from? You know, you'll catch them staring, but sometimes you'll be like, what, what are you staring at? But and it's because I'm not ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. These my my scars are, you know, something I've dealt with, something I've gone through. And if I can sit here and talk to you and say, hey, this is what I've gone through and I can help you understand it. I'll be as open to you as I can be. To let you know, hey, there's a lot more going on. (laughs) Well, most of us as parents of children with the heart disease always refer to them as battle scars. And we were always kind of proud of them. The scars defined who they were. And there was sort of a, you know, a window to their soul was also a window into their hearts. And we were always very, tried to be very poetic about it. But do you think the people near you, who've been around you for a long time, who know who, objectively what it's about, is this something you think you can share? I mean, fully, does, can anybody really get inside your head on that? Fully? Yeah. Inside my head? Yeah. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the one person or a couple of people that come close is my sister and my mom. But completely, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely helps when I go to the doctor and they say, how are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can tell them, I can express, you know, how I'm feeling. But, I mean, people just walking by, I don't think they would completely understand it. Like, even because they say, oh, it's, a, it's an invisible disability mm-hmm. you know people don't understand that it is it's a hindrance sometimes mm-hmm. you know, certain things you can't do like anybody else would do 
you know, I can't go out and have a drink. I can't go out and smoke a cigarette. I can't do anything that a regular person or a teenager would have done in high school. You mm-hmm. know, most of those experiences, I've never, I, well, let's just say it, I've never had those experiences mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was always told, you know, because of what is wrong with you, because of your condition, you can't do like most can. Right. Some of them see it as disability, and then some of them think you're full of it. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, I think the world breaks down to two kinds of people. That the people who think you're full of it, you can just leave them alone and ignore them. <laughs> and the people, some people who try to be sympathetic may say silly things, but they're trying very hard to empathize. And I think you should keep those people close. And I think that you encourage them every day by being close and by wearing a smile and by being humorous and by being who you are. And that's a really nice thing. And with that, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to end this episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. So again, I want to thank Mia Moreno for sharing with us. Thank you. You're welcome. We hope her story has brought some hope to you who are listening. And please join me or the Heart to Heart with Michael team in Pal Talk every week following our program. I'll talk with you soon, and until then, remember, it's okay to breathe. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories. If you would like to continue today's discussion, please join us right after the program in the Hug Podcast Chat Room on Pal Talk. 